This is digital strategy in case everybody's confused as to what room they're in. I've got five amazing digital strategists that Brian put together for us, and I think uh, they've got a lot of good stuff to say. So uh, I think we'll do QA probably at the end, although we want to keep it lively, and if it starts to starts to drag along, feel free to hop in. But I don't think it will because I think we've got a lot of people with good stuff to say. So I'm going to go from my left down the line, starting with Tonya Cook from Adler Integrated, and we've got Alicia Outridge from Clear Channel, A.L. Kleinman from Warner Brothers, Cameo Carlson from Borman Entertainment, and Mike Roosevelt, Mike Roosevelt, Mike Rosenthal, <laughs> the easiest name. We've got, we've got Cameo, Eyal, Alicia, Tonya, and Lars, and Mike is the easiest name, and that's the one that I mess up. Anyway, Mike Rosenthal from uh, OK Go and Paracadute. Uh, Paracadute. Yeah. So you say okay. it much better than I do. So uh, I just want to go down the just, just first, of, first of all, want to do a quick show of hands as to who's in the audience and, and how many people here are tech people? Okay. How many people from labels, artists, and management? Okay. Well, it's a it's a, it's a big mix here. Other. <laughs> okay. Any any what's other? Oh, anyway, well, okay. Well, we could get into that. I heard lawyers. Yeah. What Ted? What are you? Okay. So I just want to go down. I'm, I'm just going to ask you. Like, can can you describe? You know what digital strategy, what you do, what your company does, and what does digital strategy mean in your vertical? All right. Well, I'm a partner at Adler Integrated, and we do digital strategy and consulting and execution for live events. So generally, digital strategy, with the ultimate goal is to you know sell tickets or albums, but while becoming a part of a person's lifestyle and really being a part of their day-to-day. So... I work at Clear Channel, and I mainly focus on the digital product, iHeartRadio. So we leverage digital to engage our audience. It's just one of the tools in our toolbox. Uh, we started off with radio using telephones and live events. We still do telephone and live events. Now we have digital as well. So at Warner Brothers Records in sunny Burbank, California, we use digital strategy to play Angry Birds and a lot of <laughs> other great games, but also the marketing and, and sales distribution of music. Borman Entertainment is a management company based in uh, Los Angeles and Nashville. So we represent artists like Keith Urban and Lady Antebellum. And for us, digital strategy is any way that we can extend and expand the brand online. So it's everything from image consistency in social networking to e-commerce and working with our label partners to make sure that we get what we need from them. So I work for the band OK Go, and I came on doing all their digital strategy about four years ago, and that has morphed into basically running the sort of catch-all company uh, behind the band called Paracadute. So digital strategy for us is anything from talking to our fans on a day-to-day basis, but also the longer-term strategy of sort of how we make money when we're no longer with a major label to rolling out videos and that sort of thing. Okay, so so what I, I it's you, we've got five very sort of diverse viewpoints here. I, I just want to start. I'm going to start with Al. Where, where does it? Where does digital strategy start for a label guy? I mean, it really starts right away, right? I mean, the the notion of digital strategy. I sort of chop off the digital there. Like, digital is a part of our strategy from the recording of music all the way through the process. In the studio, we want our artists to proliferate media. You know, pictures, photos. If they want to sample little bits of songs, like that, all that is a part of engaging with the with the audience. 
again, it's all the way through the process. It's how in a, in a, a lot of projects, it's it's really the the main channel of marketing. And of course, as it relates to sales, digital is a, is a very big part of the overall pie, and it's a, a growing part of the pie. Okay, and, and so Cameo working on the management side. How, how does what you do differ from, from maybe what Ayala is doing, or where does yours start? I mean, you know, ours starts at artist development because it's, digital is part of everything that we do as well, only we're in it at a much earlier stage of the game, and we're in it uh, whether there's an album cycle or not. So for us, a lot of what we do is just extending those cycles where the label is no longer as involved as they would be during an album cycle, finding new business models looking towards the future and not looking at you know sort of the stayed business models that's a big part of what we have to do but you know we work with the labels we just we have a different stake in it every single part of what the artist does is important on the management side where you know those things all feed into the album cycle but that's not the only thing we're focused on so uh, Alicia, how does how does how does that all fit in with what you do at at, at Clear Channel and iHeartRadio? So like any broadcaster or publisher creating content, we create content, we leverage digital it's primarily engagement. If users want to talk to us, they want to reach out to us, it's one of the ways for them to do that. There's some acquisition aspect of that too. If someone shares something they like and their friends see it, then there's some we can do more acquisition things there. But ultimately, it's engagement for us. And it's just one of, we say something on the radio, we say something, announce a new feature, our users see a notification of a new feature, and then they share that they've, we launched an alarm clock feature, for example. We didn't have something integrated within our app to say, here's the alarm clock. You've set your alarm clock so that Z100 or insert radio station here plays for you in the morning. We didn't integrate anything in our app to announce that. But users talked about it, and then we talked to them and said, thank you for saying this. How did you like that alarm clock? Can we do anything else for you? And do you, do you at, at a place like Clear Channel, do you feel like you're totally integrated with the main business, or do you feel like you're sort of fighting your way in? Because I think anybody from a label can, can, <laughs> can, anybody who's been doing this for a while at a label, you know, can, can relate to having had to fight their way in. I think we're probably all the way in now, but do you? Well, we're a few years in, so it's, it's pretty integrated. Clear Channel Media and Entertainment has a digital group, and the digital group, we're like, we're like a little startup in a big company. Uh, we all work <laughs> together. Uh, it's, we're very into with programming. So that even on the radio station side, we're all in the same building. We're all on the same floor. I used to work at AOL. I was traveling all over the world to in India, France, and I'm in one city here. Tonya? <laughs> I did it. Yeah, it's Tonya. Okay. It's okay. So, so where, does it, where does it start for you? I mean, like, I, I mean I'm, I'm not sure. I think, I think we got into the abstract, but I'm, I'm actually like really sort of nuts and bolts. Like, yeah. like, like what is a, what, how do you start a digital strategy? Like, how does that conversation begin? You find out what the client's end goal is. You say, what, what are you expecting out of this? What, what do you need to happen? And what are the steps that we can take to get there? And you really, you know, you have to work with them very, very closely to figure out what, what that digital strategy should be overall. Because if, if you don't know what, what they're hoping to see out of, uh, out of all of your efforts, it's not going to amount to anything at the end of the day. So it's, it's super, super important to have that conversation in the beginning, and that's where you start filling in all the gaps for your overall strategy. So what, what, what are your horizons? I mean, how, how, how long when – when do you say, oh, I, I unfolded this digital strategy <laughs> for my client, and it worked or it went horribly wrong? Like, hopefully worked. Yeah, <laughs> ideally. 
I mean, it, it really just depends on on who on who we're working with. It can range anywhere from, you know, three months to the lifetime of brand. You know, and it really it, it depends on what level you jump in on and what level they want to be involved in, and you know where they are as a company. And if they say, well, this is a real change that we want to make for our company, and this is something that we want to do and grow and and integrate it into all of our different moving pieces, then it's something that you can fill in through, you know, you can plan on a longer strategy, whereas opposed to some people just want, oh, well, this album's coming out, so I just need a quick campaign for this. Um, and so what, really what is depends. your client base? Like, who are, who are your clients? Because um, you're, the, you're the only person from an agency here. I mean, I right. think it's really clear, like, who else, everybody else is working for. Um, well, I got started, well, still working with the Roxy Theater in L.A., uh, the Sunset Street Music Festival. We work with um, Cheech and Chong, uh, and most recently, Rod Stewart's probably our flashiest client. Um, so, so you're working directly with an artist? Yes. So, mm-hmm. Gotcha. And, yeah. and so... Cameo, yeah, you you may have a bit of a different. Wait, what, where as as a management person, like where did what's your horizon? And, and I mean, the how? thing for us is that digital strategy is not it's not there's no beginning and end to it. I mean, it's an, it's a living, breathing thing, and so there are end dates to certain campaigns that are important, and there are you know metrics we're trying to hit or specific goals, but it, it's ongoing and it changes. So we might be looking at um, an e-commerce plan on our artist stores a year out in advance so that we can get a product put together, but we might be looking at, you know, social calendars of two days in advance, depending on what's, what's going on. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it varies. So, I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's, that's tactics and strategy though. I mean, is there, is there a broad, do you take a step back and, and say, you know, in a year or, you know, or, or a longer period, I mean, do you, do you take that long look? We do. I mean, we, we start at the beginning of the year and we set um, some sort of specific goals and metrics of things that we want to do. I mean, things things change for us, right? So Lady Annabelle is a really good example. We met um, in middle of last year. We were having conversations about what we were going to do, and then Hillary got <coughs> pregnant. And that was not something that we were planning on. So the whole strategy has to shift then to work towards life events that, you know, I mean, these are human beings that have mm-hmm. things that happen. And um, we had to shift our strategy. So, you know, for us, the tactical plays into it pretty heavily. But it, we're always reevaluating the strategic and trying to step back. It's hard when you have multiple artists to take the time to do that because you do get really down in the weeds dealing with, you know, whatever's sort of right in front of you. But, but we definitely try. Uh, so, so yeah, Mike, to, you're, to, you're, in a, you're in a sort of a hybrid sphere with, between sort of management, label, everything. So Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to actually sort of jump in on Cameo's point of being able to sort of roll with things as they happen, I think that's just a really important point to be making is like, I mean, you see sort of time and again events unfolding. I mean, I think of the Super Bowl and the, you know, the lights going out and whoever was Oreo or something running with that. And that was like the big social media, sto- media story of that, uh, that, that was successful. And, and, and even on a larger scale, somebody getting pregnant or, you know, something else happening that you just sort of have to, to pivot and run with. I mean, I remember we did a video, um, for a song called end love where the band spends 24 hours moving super slowly through a park, um, in LA and, some little some duck decided to follow them around for about ten hours of the video, and so we had a, you know our entire digital strategy about the rollout of the video and how we were going to talk to fans about it and what the whole thing was going to be, and all anybody could talk about was the 
fucking duck uh, and how exciting it was and like this was just like an amazing thing to everybody and so all of a sudden you know the day that the video launches we're scrambling to you know create merch that has the duck on it we're scrambling to create a Facebook fan page for the duck like these are not things that you think of in your sort of media strategy plan uh, but it was buying you know buy, it was really the most successful part of the whole video so just hey, I yeah I mean just to add to that like it's so hard to have you know a, a a long-term strategy in this world when platforms are changing so rapidly, right? Today we're talking about the Twitter musics of the worlds, the Vines, the Instagrams, and no disrespect to anybody here, last year it was SocialCam and Viddy who, you know, have sort of lost their luster. So it's really important to be nimble in this world to be effective. Right, and how do you, you know? yeah, how do you, how do you, yeah, how do you deal with that? I mean, do you, is there, do you think, are there things that you, you that you're able to carry through? From all the a way. product perspective, definitely. Because uh, iHeartRadio I is a product. It's music tech product. We have to look in the long term for what our users are doing, what they want. Video and social cam, that might be popular now, but that doesn't mean we're going to have our whole product now have video integrated. Uh, like you need, really need to listen from a prop, like as a product person, you have to listen to what your users want and what they need that goes into what your core value is. That's what you base your bottom line on. And that's how you figure out which digital platforms can help you achieve that goal. Don't just try to be everywhere and anywhere. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, just getting to your, your initial question of sort of how the, the life of it unfolds. I mean, I think for us and, and for a lot of bands and, you know, for the artists in the room, really trying to think through the, the long-term life of your fan relationship, um, you know, where OK Go and, and other artists, I mean, you're in that luxurious place where, you, you know, you're not trying to work a million artists in a day. You know, I work with other people who do digital strategy for 10 or 20 bands, and, you know, I mean, it's just chaos, and it's a mess for them, and they're constantly jumping around. And so if you have the luxury of really being able to develop that long-term strategy, I think that it's it really benefits the band and it benefits your fans to think that through and and not to be burning those bridges you know by just constantly marketing to them you know just finding a balance between the marketing side of what you're doing and the giving them access and and speaking to them like people and and sort of garnering those those longer term relationships well the strategy helps to keep you focused right i mean if you have a strategy and you know what your brand is cuz it's extremely important cuz when you're dealing with art and you're making it into a, a commercial product um, you know, there's a fine line between the art and the product, and you have to have an overarching strategy that you can always come back to so that you can stay true to the brand, you can stay true to the art, and if things are, you know, ephemeral on these platforms, that you have something to always come back to. You know, if you, if you have a really strong strategy, you can plug in where these things make sense, but you can easily extract yourself if they're not making sense for you anymore, and that's the real thing, is just you have to have a focus. So for some people, that focus can be really big, and it can take a lot of time for others it's like one thing at a time that you can kind of focus on but it's certainly easier at the artist level you know it's I did work at a record label and it's easier at the artist level to be able to do those things because we don't have the same sort of restrictions or legal hoops to jump through in the same way that maybe a large you know label will have where we're able to be a little more nimble and kind of move around on these things and see what works I mean there's so many new ideas and platforms every day you want to try stuff but you have to always stay true to that main focus and strategy so tonya you work in a bunch of different verticals because you work with different kind of clients are there is there anything resembling a set of fundamentals oh god keep it consistent i guess just (laughs) don't jump on any platform if you can't keep up with it i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's and you know, and even I'm guilty of this because there's so many different channels and there's so many different things to manage. But only take on what what you can actually handle from the day to day. I hate seeing 
dead account somewhere, especially if it's if it's for somebody that you're a big fan of and somebody that you really want to get involved in. But it's just you know stick with what with what you can manage. I guess would be the biggest. So what what channels? I mean, I'm sort of what are, what are the what are the most uh, what are the most important channels right now? I mean. Just throw it out to the room. I think I mean, it totally depends on the artist in right. some ways. I mean, yeah. in the country space, it, it, you know, it's Facebook and it's Twitter, right? Yeah. It, it's the same for a lot of artists, but but the thing for me is that it has to be whatever's natural to the artist. So that's the platform that matters. If it's something that you're going to use and it makes sense for you and you can bring the fans there, that's the platform that makes sense. It's important to go where the fans are, but you can't have these accounts that pop up and you don't maintain it and then it's I mean there's nothing worse than dead accounts it can't is, is be artificial there a, either right? you can't yeah. force an artist to use Twitter if they aren't Justin Bieber or yeah. millennial if they don't want to tweet all the is time is this being recorded <laughs> yeah no I mean we you know I, I've, I tried for a long time to get the band to, to tweet and use Facebook uh, in their everyday and they just wouldn't take to it and then last year Damien the lead singer of OK Go got really into Instagram um, and just genuinely fell in love with the platform and he uses it all the time and the fans just go nuts for it whenever he puts it out there because it's so clearly from him and so you know it's like that authentic voice like you're talking about completely rings true and mm-hmm. fans can sniff it out in an instant I think yeah. but probably the most impactful platform for you is YouTube and I would put sure. that right in the same bucket right yeah absolutely um, and yeah I mean you know we, we it's funny people a lot of people and a lot of artists do use that in a much more social way than we do. I mean, we really use it more as a distribution platform um, than than anything else. And maybe that's a space where we could be growing. But um, for us, I mean, obviously, it's an incredibly valuable tool for us, but it's not one that we use as a social as much. And do you guys, does anybody else, I mean, I, I, I regard YouTube personally as, a, as sort of a social medium now. I, yeah. that's, that's the way I look mm-hmm. at it. Anybody, anybody else on the... I mean, do you look at it as as distribution or social or... or? It's definitely a huge marketing platform. More artists should use it. Uh, We have challenges where due to licensing, I mean, you can't, we can't put a lot of content there. Uh, But, and I'm, several of you, I'm sure have that problem. But as an artist, you should definitely take advantage of YouTube as a marketing platform. Mm -hmm. So to the to, to the people who are dealing with a lot of different clients, Al and and Tonya, like, are you, what's... What have you started working with, say, in the last six months that you weren't that you know what's the what's what's moving and what surprised you you know in terms of things that have taken off or is there anything or maybe not surprise you but what's working what that there wasn't working a year you know you mentioned right. a year ago what wasn't working a year ago and what's working now? I, I mean I think overall the best thing to do is to keep it as as simple as possible right I mean Cameo and I actually had the pleasure of working together some years back and I I think. At that time, what was it, four or five years ago, we were pushing each other to be really innovative um, and making like really cool, innovative products. And some of them worked, and some of them were just our great ideas that didn't go anywhere. Um, uh, but you know, keeping it simple is great. So one thing that, that worked really well for me uh, in the last six months was a promotion we did with this artist, Meek Mill. Um, we launched there, – there's a, uh, an application called Twigram, which uh, – essentially renders text on a like a postcard kind of deal and and it posts to instagram it's a very popular form of uh of media out there and he was just obsessed with it you know speaking about an artist that where we had challenges getting him to be on other social platforms that one in particular he was really all about so it just made sense to me to reach out to those guys and make like a a cool you know set of 
uh, well, it was a, it was a pack, so it was design postcards uh, with our album packaging and you know his likeness and stuff that we used promotionally, and it was very very effective. We had you know something like five million uh, postcards generated from it, and a lot of people believed it was it was a big part of the campaign overall. Um, and I think and was it or was it something that you sort of improvised? No, I mean I think it was it was tremendous marketing. Um, to have five million generated right. to think about the, the the overall reach from each one of those posts. But did you did you go in saying, hey, we're going to use this thing, or did you did you sort of stumble on it? And did it become was it part of a core part of your strategy, or was it something that that came up because you were describing things? You know, things change all the time. I mean, that's right. what, what we always say too. It's six months. I mean, it definitely different. was a core part of the strategy. And, and again, in the in the challenge of trying, you know, to encourage him to, to participate in other ways. You know, once we launched that, he was all in, right? I mean, because he was so invested in the in the app to begin with. Um, I think just going back to it, YouTube is just such an effective part of what we do every day, from monetizing our content to using it as as that social channel. Each little piece of ancillary content drives more views. Not only that content, but uh, our our music videos and helps to cross promote other content. So. Um, it's not necessarily a surprise, but YouTube is, a, is a, just a bigger part of what we do every day. So, so Alicia and Tonya, like, how do you? You don't. If you're not dealing with an artist, you're dealing with you're dealing with a product, and sometimes you're dealing with a building. Uh, a building. <laughs> how do you? I mean, how do you replicate that? I think I think those of us who deal with with, with recording artists, you know, we're we want the artist to be um, completely obsessed with a particular, and, and we oftentimes follow them. <laughs> But how do you how do you deal with that? Not necessarily having an artist who's going to be obsessed with a, a particular thing. You you create a personality, you create a lifestyle around around what you're doing, around your product, around you know these four walls in my case, or you know a blocked off section of street. You um, you give it a life other than that one moment that you go to it. I mean, people that go to the Roxy go maybe three times a year, but. There's people that interact with it all day, every single day. And it's more about bringing it to people outside of what they can actually do with with that product, but thinking about it, oh, well, they sent me this cool thing, and, and I like them because they like all of these things online. And, and I'm going to go to this show here because I know they have really good beer because they talk about it over here online. And it's and it's all about making these connections and, and making it work for their lifestyle for the day-to-day. For us, on the so as from a product perspective, we iHeartRadio is a part of Clear Channel. iHeartRadio has a live video concert series. We have our own theater where we throw events. We record them. We have our own production team. We put it on our websites for our users. So iHeartRadio users can go log in and watch them. Uh, so we in that way we do work with the artists, but we don't need to market it on YouTube. We market it to our fan base, to our, our users. We tell them, hey, this, you've been listening to this to Usher. Usher is in our theater downstairs. So you can win tickets to go see him. Uh, so that type was some someone on that end. YouTube isn't very effective for my group in that way. Um, but Vine is a very interesting video platform that has been really useful on the radio side where a lot of our stations have created these short little videos and skits. And I've seen a lot more other other brands be very creative on it. Um, from an artist perspective, it might not be as, as applicable. I would definitely recommend YouTube. But from a, from a larger company perspective or a media publisher and broadcaster perspective, Vine is effective for us. 
Well, well I mean, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's very effective for the, the artists that we have that use it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah to, I'd love to know more about it. Uh, I want to go back to the in the past six months what's yeah, been yeah. successful. Yeah. Um, I think one of the major major things is the Reddit AMA, um, and I know it's not in the past six months. This has been mm-hmm. happening for a very long time, but I think that it is more and more becoming becoming part of what. <laughs> Uh, anyone needs to do for a serious launch online. So actually, show of hands, how many people have seen a Reddit AMA? Mm-hmm. Okay. How many people have participated in a Reddit AMA? Do we all know what a Reddit AMA so, is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So an artist will go on, on the platform Reddit and they'll say, I'm so-and-so. Like we, we recently did one with Cheech and Chong and we did a full day of internet with Cheech and Chong. So they did a Reddit AMA, a Twitter Q&A, a Facebook Q&A, a live stream, and a Google Hangout, back-to-back on 420. So we... (laughs) It was really, really fun. Um, And the Reddit AMA, so they go on there and say, Hi, I'm Tommy Chong, and I'm Cheech Marin. We're on Reddit. Welcome to our AMA. And anybody who's on Reddit can go on and ask them questions, and the good questions get upvoted, and the, the higher they get to the top, those are the ones that the artist generally sees, and they pick the ones that they want to answer. And it's just it's a Q&A on a different platform. Um, but more and more artists are doing it, actors are doing it whenever they have something big coming out. Um, and it's, it's really, really important, but the most important thing is that it has to be authentic. People will see right through it, and they are not scared to call you out. Um, Morgan Freeman did one recently, and it wasn't him. And Reddit asked for proof. They say you have to, you have to tweet a picture saying, I'm doing this right now, and it has to be real. And someone for the movie he was working on uh, stuck a piece of paper on him while he was asleep on a couch and said, I'm Morgan Freeman, and I'm doing an AMA. And somebody went in and was like, this isn't him, and they went through this whole YouTube analysis of how it wasn't him and how it was all Photoshopped. But anyway, to get to my point, it's very important. That's where things are breaking on the Internet. It's there, you know, two, three days before you see it anywhere else. And I think it's, it's more and more becoming a really big part of what artists need to do when, they're, when they need to put, get themselves out there. I'll, I'll throw in also with the, the, the Reddit was a huge, huge part of the Daft Punk campaign. Oh, yeah. Massively. Mm-hmm. And Daft Punk doesn't you know they don't do anything and but and they didn't even have to be there it's just but there's a there was a subreddit set up a while ago and it just became the locus of everything so that's that's been that's it's a pretty specific audience though right. too. Yes, I mean, yes. 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 the ama stands for ask me anything so you also have to have an artist that's willing to be really open so we we happen to also manage um in partnership my morning jacket and jim james and jim james went on and did a reddit and it was great it was hugely successful he sat there. He loved the questions from the fans, and it did really well. I can't see Keith Urban doing one of these and having it have the same level of success, right. mostly sure. because I think the Reddit audience would probably boo and hiss that he's right. not cool enough to be right. in Reddit, and he would get a bunch of, like, you know, hiding behind my computer assholes that would be saying God only knows what to him. So it, you, it's also, like, part of the larger branding and strategy conversation. You know, yeah. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work for him. Have, have any of these things? I mean, Reddit. We're talking about Reddit. Also on Vine. I mean, how many how many people are are on Vine? Show of hands here. Uh, not as many as I would have thought, actually. Um, so, do these things like Reddit and Vine? They they change your tactics. Has anything changed your strategy in the last you know year or so? You know, since since we last convened. You know, at, at, <laughs> since I last was here, it's been about six months. Um, 
has any of this like fundamentally changed the way you roll things out or or is it are they just different tools that that are here today i don't want to answer my own question I think it, I think they're just new tools, and I think you test the tools and you find the things that work, and you find the things that the fans are connecting with and are interested in. I mean, for us, our primary strategy is about speaking directly to fans and collecting data. So none of those platforms help us do that for the most part. So they'll plug into places where we want to test platforms, but ultimately, for us, it's about finding ways that we can push them back into a place where we can have a little more control over the conversation. And your my favorite person right now because you just segued into <laughs> metrics. So nice. how do you measure what you do? And Camia, since you brought it up, I'll let you go first. Depends on the campaign. I mean, certainly there is a need to use platforms and reach fans where they already are. And those metrics are interesting. They're probably not the most important metrics for us. I mean, we, we certainly, you know, it, there was an education process for me personally, coming from a label where primarily I was dealing with um, hip-hop into now country. The audience and the way we speak to the audience is drastically different. So the numbers in social media, for instance, are much, much lower, but the engagement is much higher. And the type of engagement is much different than it was with the hip-hop artists. So for us, it's about making sure that we're having the right kinds of conversations, and then we look at the metrics. So in some places, we may see really slow growth over time, doesn't necessarily matter at the end of the day. Everybody likes good numbers, right? Everybody wants to say, oh, we grew Twitter by X percentage or whatever it is. To me, the, the important metrics are the, the um, email database that we're collecting, the open rate of those emails, what we're sending, how we're maintaining that. Like, those are the metrics that matter to me. Yeah, I would just echo that. I would say that email subscription is the biggest, most important factor for us. I mean, especially when, I mean, okay, we got a million followers on Twitter, but, you know, ask people on Twitter to do something, and in terms of the actionable return rate on that is really, really small percentage, but uh, the people that are on your email list are incredibly loyal um, and will click things and share things and be excited, and um, yeah, they're, they're, they're really important to us. I would say for us in general, the, um, the, the way we sort of think about metrics with regards to strategy is that we, and, you know, maybe OKGO OK is slightly unique in this sense, but we have a very, very large base of fair weather friends. You know, we can get 30 or 40 million people to love a video for five minutes one day and share it to their friends. Um, and then we have a very, like most artists have, sort of a tiny, I, sorry, I'm doing this, I, I think of it as a pyramid. Um, basically, the base <laughs> of the pyramid is all of our Fairweather friends, and then our, my job is really to push those people up the pyramid to the base of being the hardcore fans at the top. And so a lot of what we do is analyze the data at the bottom, at the largest level. On it. For us, it's a YouTube side. Um, and then really set up a strategy that lets people essentially go down the rabbit hole. So, okay, this number of people are going to love an OK Go music video, but maybe this percentage of them are going to actually want to see the behind-the-scenes video uh, footage for that video. So you better make sure you've got, you know, six or ten well-placed behind-the-scenes videos that they can fall down. And then, you know, a tinier percentage of those people are going to be excited about completely geeking out about every single thing about that video they could ever get their hands on. And sort of, you know, letting letting them follow the trail down to being the hardcore fans is uh, something that, that we use data for and really informs our strategy. So actually, Ayal, I want, I, I want to ask all... The, yeah. So, yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, how, what's your take on this? You, you deal with all genres of music, yeah. so... I mean, what's really striking to me um, is how we improve our benchmarks on mobile, right? If you're, if you're not engaging on mobile, then I feel like you're lost. And I, I, I think no matter the genre, that's probably the most important place to be. So on any given day, 
over 50% of our fans engage some way with our artists on mobile. And, you know, in some cases with email distribution, that it would be like 80% open rate on, on a mobile device. Um, we've effectively doubled our D2C business originating from mobiles, uh, mobile devices. What up, Ruth? I saw you in the room somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and 20% of our... Uh, of our traffic on the low end comes from mobile devices. So I think it's all about how we improve our, our communication and our, our, our presentation on a mobile device. You just, actually, you just got into it, but, but you actually just just uh, showed another meaningful metric that nobody's really mentioned, which is D2C. Right. So at a label, I mean, I, I know for Mike and for Cameo, I'm sure D2C is ridiculously important because yeah. you guys are controlling all the, all the the also the non-music revenue streams. And how important... How important is D2C, you know, in what you do? Yeah, I mean, it's very important, right? Uh, but it's uh, it doesn't work for every artist. Mm-hmm. So if I got a, a big pop artist out there, you know, it may be about single sales and driving, you know, uh, driving that. But, you know, for a band, like if we had a band like OK Go, like I would focus heavily on, on D2C. Yeah. There's there's a lot of, uh, of, of margin in the revenue we, we generate from D2C, and, and we're looking for ways to improve that on a daily basis. So again, that points back to mobile, making sure that our stores look good on iPhones and Android devices and uh, creating compelling products and stuff like that. Well, but also, the, I mean, just being able to capture the data from D2C yep. is huge yep. for us. I mean, it's massive. That's almost more important yeah, to us absolutely. than the revenue because yeah. for us it's still growing and it's small in the grand scheme of things, but the data is critical. Yeah, you know, who they are, you know, what they've bought before, you know, where they live. I mean, it's, a, it's massive. That's uh, that. Uh, that's and we know that, where you live. Coming from coming from the artist's perspective, I mean, that's really it's a really important thing, you know, for for everybody to understand. Because I mean, you, you're not always you don't always manage to when you're at a label, you don't always manage to the D to C or the or the data. You know, you might you know you're looking at all kinds of metrics, general firehose, and that's why I asked the question because you've got there's so many things to look at and there's so many things that various people, various stakeholders will prioritize. Actually, I'm interested, Alicia, in, in you, you come from a ratings-based company that, you know, that, that lives or dies by Nielsen points, you know, on the, and, you know, so how do, what, so what's that? Now it's Nielsen. That's, but what, like, how do you, do you, do you, are you managing to, to specific metrics and from a music product perspective definitely i mean if so i i have a strong background in just product development in general and it always you have to focus on what types of users so it's similar to the type of artists as well which types of artists have more lean back versus lean forward users what is passive or active to that user we think about that way with our music product like we can't we don't have a pyramid if you will like we can't kind of get some users are going to stay at the at, in this one bubble of where they're going to listen they're not going to thumb up songs they aren't going to thumb down songs they don't like we have a contest they don't care about going uh and then there'll be the users that are very active they want to win everything and they'll call in constantly they'll try to be that hundredth caller um and then you've got the users that are just thumbing up the songs to tune their custom station within our product and each of those have a segmentation type and then we use we have specific metrics based on that type of user and try to put a user story uh, it's like very technical standard user story around who that user is what type of engagement we can do and what metrics we're accountable for so that really just translates to TLH so total listening hours average time spent within our product average time per session for this type of user 
Um, if they're thumbing up and down and they're a very lean back type of user, if they're thumbing down things suddenly and they haven't ever done it, you kind of wonder why. Like, did we do something wrong? Did we do something well? Uh, that's why a music product is really interesting because if a user is actively engaged, you have to wonder who that user is because you could be doing something wrong. They, you might have changed something and they don't know what's happening if they're clicking too much. And how much, how much does that resemble radio? On the radio side, it's... Uh, I mean, I guess how much is what you're doing with, mm-hmm. with iHeartRadio, which is, you know, a largely passive listening, or it's a, it's a radio product. So Active and passive. Like, the, yeah. there's, there's a nice blend. I mean, the, the numbers are, the terrestrial radio, radio overall is much larger than yeah. digital. Yeah. So it's hard to compare them because mm-hmm. uh, for any of the players in the space right now, I mean, there's 463 million users listening to radio stations. We're not going to be able to, we, we can't engage all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, digital gets us close. It's one of the tools. Uh, so we don't have any metric. And what's the installed base of iHeartRadio? 30 million. 30 million. That's still mm-hmm. pretty big. For, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty big. <laughs> so, so Tonya, when you're, when you're uh, putting together the deck yeah. at the end of the engagement, what metrics, you know, what's going to go in there? What, it, what you know? You know, that... <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking from the client side. Yeah, I, I, I'm I know. putting it through our... Through our uh... The fanciest number I can possibly find. Um, <laughs> the client side is a fun one. Um, but I, you know, I... It's tough, but I really just try to focus on where where the engagement levels are at. What What is the thing that's making the audience tick? Am I adapting to the things that they're interested in at that given moment? Um, is it... Has the page stalled out? Are people still interested in it? Is that, you know, for for what it's worth, the talking about number on Facebook? What's, you know, is that is that up right now? Is that down right now? You know, it, I've tried so hard to figure out the rhyme or reason behind that, and I kind of can't. But I figure it's a good it's a good benchmark to say, okay, well, this is kind of where my audience is at right now. I want to really be at this higher level instead of where I'm at right now. So, what are these things that I can do based on my past? post to kind of get to that level um so that that engagement number is really still the biggest thing for me um you know what, seeing what makes them tick you know what one metric that i i rarely hear people talk much about but i well, we find it to be hugely important is um wikipedia page view actually oh, that's um interesting. it's just you know and it's and i it never would have really occurred to me but uh, Damien, the lead singer of the band, is kind of obsessed with dealing with Wikipedia, and um, so he's always kind of pointing out the numbers on it. And it's, you know, so I've spent some time thinking about it, and it is in Next Big Sound. If you guys use that, um, it is a number that's pretty easy to track. And but I think it's a really kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't go to any artist website ever, and maybe I'm the wrong candidate for that. But so, so to think about people going to an artist website, I mean, that number is an interesting number to know, but to, I feel like when you're first hearing about a band or when you kind of want to know something about a band, that's, a, that's the place to go, right? And so I think looking at that number and really tracking spikes in that number can be a pretty good indicator of how much really organic buzz there is about your band and not bought you know, through media or, any, or anything else. But who is that user? The, the users that are updating Wikipedia... I'm asking uh, the panel. <laughs> I, I, oh, who's updating Wikipedia? Yeah, I mean, like, that, that's a certain demographic. Sure, but, but that's a different group of people than the people who are going to Wikipedia to look at your yes. information. So, I mean, right. make sure your Wikipedia page is up to date. That's oh, definitely. Uh, for sure. I mean, a Wikipedia page is basically it's it's almost like an extension of Google at this point. Yeah, right. I mean, because they they, they, they offer it high, and uh, so. It's something it's it's hard to underestimate that it's hard to underestimate the importance of uh, 
of, of Wikipedia, but it's also the other thing not to do is freak out too much because a lot of time and a lot of cycles get wasted. Yeah, manage trying to manage your your Wikipedia page. To yeah, like we, we will so, like get involved with that. I mean, if anybody's got a Wikipedia page management wizard, um, I'm all ears. So because um, <laughs> we're always looking for some some better way to to help that out. Um, so um, I had a couple of questions here. What what um what uh I asked like what's new. What what's what's old? What what what's lasted? Long? What what hasn't gone away that you thought was going to go away? You know, is there something that that is there some long sort of challenge or frustration that uh, it's actually two questions in one? The other the short question was what makes you tear your hair out in frustration? But is there something that's stuck around longer than you thought, and you're surprised that you're still talking about it in 2013? I'll start. <laughs> Email. Hmm. Email. I I really didn't think that you know that five years ago, if you listened to to people, email's been dead for five years, and I've never really believed it. Um, but I keep waiting for it to die, and it it never really does. And I think in some cases, you know, with certain kinds of artists, it's more important than ever. Is it is it important at all though in in hip hop? I mean, is it important? I mean, I don't know. It can be. I mean, it really depends. You know. I disagree with you, though, Lars. I think email is still very, very important. Oh, I, I agree. I, okay, it's, it, no, it's yeah. very important. It hasn't, oh. <laughs> hasn't gone away. I'm just. What do you got? I'm not frustrated with you. <laughs> I love email. Emails, emails are magical. I can't live without email. I mean, I'm very active on Twitter and all these social networks, but email is something where users sign up. Like to to his point earlier about email subscriptions, that's the way an artist can really mobilize their ultra fans base that wants well, to get also, that it's, info. It's private, right? Like yeah. there. Yeah. Things that you're willing to do in social media that you don't want your other friends to know about, that right. you're willing yeah. to take an email and not have everybody see. So how many people there. on this panel have had people that are either clients or artists tell them that email is not important? Uh, oh, all the time. Really? really? None of your artists have ever, none of your artists or clients have, have ever said, why are you doing email? No. Wow. I mean, my job, my, my job is to explain to the clients why it's important. Oh, no, no, so that's what I'm saying. Before you strategy, explain it to them, then yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all good. <laughs> well, Twitter's well, no, important, it's, it's, too. I guess the question <laughs> was, no, not, not how many people have been convinced by them not to do email, but how many... Like, There's how many, an ego thing involved with yeah. social media, right? So that's a really public right. number, and it's something that they can look at and go, look at this amazing thing that I've done. And the email is like... It's inside baseball, right? It's not sexy to them. So we have to be able to do the work for them, and you have to be able to just convince them. It's not easy, but, I mean, I get why artists are enamored by that, because they can see it themselves, and it's public. Well, I guess I've also answered my own question as to what makes me tear my hair out, too, <laughs> which is being told, being told that email is not important, you know, by, or, or, being, or having it asserted that, that email is not important. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll anyone else? Some, yeah. yeah, something yeah, else that makes me tear my hair out on... Uh, a regular basis are fan voted campaigns where data is not shared it's bullshit it's i mean it's the worst because we're pushing fans to do an action on someone else's platform and they're leveraging our artists and our traffic and all of this stuff and they don't share that data and it's it's rampant in country music on the awards shows and it's painful 
It's painful. And we, we, and that is an education process because trying to explain to an artist why you don't want to participate in something like that very heavily is very challenging when their peers are winning awards that are based on these kinds of things. But, you know, ultimately to me, the data is the retirement plan. You know, right now, if you're hot and things are going, it's all great. But eventually you need that base that's always going to be there and they're going to buy tickets and they're going to buy merchandise and they're going to be part of your financial plan down the road. And that starts with the data so and how, that makes me crazy how do you deal with how do you deal with with the fact that other people will do it i mean like how do you how do you how do you how do you, how do you draw the line against that you know not sharing data it's we not try just, to not participate yeah. if, if we can get away with it i mean we can't always get away with it and there are certain things we will do but we won't promote it as heavily as the other acts will and we just have to you know the artists have to work with us and trust us that we ultimately have their best interests at heart and we don't always win that but we but we try mike actually do you do you guys insist on data because you guys have done all kinds of innovative you know we we, things i mean sure we don't insist on anything i mean you know we we want you know we yeah we want data as much as the next person i mean sort of getting to your actual question of sort of what makes me tear my hair out or just thinking about this data accumulation side of things um, and maybe other artists and small labels and managers have this problem too which is that we you know we do everything now for the band and we have distribution uh through two different distribution companies and we do direct to fan and we do all the social stuff and you know everything like this and we're big data nerds and we like analyzing data but we um all the data comes in in different formats, and all this data, you know, every month we get, you know, a, an Excel file from one distribution company, an Excel file from another, and an Excel file from Topspin, and, and all of a sudden you're sitting on sort of 12 different Excel files, and maybe you look at the bottom line of them if you have time, but there's, you know, thousands of, you know, rows of data there that you really have no way to pull into one place. And, you know, place, people like, you know, Next Big Sound um, are doing a great job of, doing the social side of it, but it's very hard to sort of see what's moving the needle or what matters or where spikes are coming from in sales or, you know, even just being able to analyze your sales data and say, you know, how much money did I make on Spotify in June in Germany? You know, it's like what are, you know, being able to really look at everything together. I don't feel like, and I'm only sort of going on this because I feel like there's a lot of music tech startup people in the world or in this room um, and at this conference. So if people know, A, know of something, please let me know. Uh, And B, if you don't, like, go build it, please. Because I think there's a lot of people in the same boat where we're kind of overwhelmed with data and we're all being told data is so important and we know that it's important. But I don't feel like there's a tool that's really solving it for small businesses. Well, is there? I mean, getting back, can I want to ask a question. Actually, okay. So, so, yeah. but the question is: is there, is there even a, is there even been a defined data set that you can that defines success or that correlates with success? I mean, I want to know when we release a single or when we have a Twitter campaign. Are we seeing a spike in YouTube views? Are we seeing and are those leading to a spike in sales of the merch piece that we're promoting alongside of it? Are the annotations leading people off to Spotify? Like, I just I want to see it. Yeah, I want to see what the correlations are. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like a good business problem for somebody out here to solve. <laughs> I think so. I think it's a pretty good business problem for for next big sound. But I mean, again, I'm I'm I think the issue the, the big if you're if you're a, a quant out there, I mean, the thing is. It's finding that correlation or finding the finding the, the metric that actually means something because we again we've got all the data in the world and I can probably slice and dice and cut it up and display it any way I want to show that we're succeeding or failing you know right. as I need to but right. the question is what what I mean I have you know next big sound is great right. I look at it every day yeah. and some days it tells me something and some days it doesn't right so 
Anything else? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just going to go back to this, but, you know, on the topic of mobile, anything built out there out there that is not mobily optimized or with with mobile not in mind. So excessive use of Flash, um, launching, you know, 3D crazy Facebook desktop apps, no no shots at anybody. But that's sort of like an FU to, again, the, the 20% or more of the audience that's consuming on a mobile device. So that drives me nuts. All right. Well, I've gotten to ask all the questions. Um, so um, I'm going to throw it out to the audience. So go, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, my question is to anybody there. Um, I've heard a lot of conversation about users, but it seems more like what can be marketed to the users, how you can sell to the users, you know, how you can profit off the users. How are the users being empowered above and beyond, theoretically, them having your product? You know, what makes them, how, how do you excite them? How do you make them feel that they're really a part of this experience that they're participating in? So that would be my question. And uh, Cammie, I have a quick question for you. Uh, how could the Raiders be, was, <laughs> I'm just giving them a bad time. We work together. We so. work together. Um, <laughs> um, per, perhaps this, this may seem over, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the first shot at this one. It may, it may seem a little over, overly cynical, but... Um, you know, we're in the business of actually uh, monetizing monetizing music masters specifically, um, and our job is to engage people. I mean, basically, you know, I think it's using Vine, it's using um, it's using the social networks, it's um, using something that we really haven't really talked much about, which is the actual. And I, I hate to use the word content, but that's what we deal in because it's so broad these days. It's it's photos and music and, and getting those out to the fans in a way that excites them. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the stuff we use, you know, in order to make money. So it's, it, it all underlies that. But I do think you underscored the fact that we really haven't talked a whole lot about, you know, what we're doing to excite people or maybe what specifically with a, with a few exceptions. I mean, but it's anything. I mean, it would, yep. The reason why I ask that is because Early on, I mean, I've been on the web since 1990, 91. It was always about relationships. Mm -hmm. And those relationships usually are back and forth. And there's a thin line between just being a one-sided relationship. I give you, I sell you, I give you some more, I sell you some more, versus the give and take back. I know that you're talking about feedback, but feedback is still coming under the umbrella of Mm of, of monetizing and not really what may be my actual life experience. You know, am I sad because of a certain uh, tragedy? Do I need some upliftment? You know, all these different types of things seem to not be a part of the conversation. That's why I'm asking, how does the fan become empowered? Because I think that's an important ingredient at the end of the day. It it matters for us a lot, because particularly for country artists, there is this sense of... Um, accessibility that they are supposed to have and they're supposed to be able to have a direct relationship so the relationship for us is extremely important so for Lady Antebellum and Keith Urban in particular we have a person that is completely dedicated that works for those artists individually that does nothing but fan engagement and it is about relationship and conversation it is about you know acknowledging things that are happening in the world that are have nothing to do with marketing that have nothing to do with product any of that because if we don't keep it genuine they will call us out on it. And it's not the, it's maybe not the case for every artist in every genre, but for ours in particular, it's 
critically important. We we learned a really hard lesson last year. We did um, a sale on Memorial Day weekend, and you would have thought that we literally said, go out and kill the troops. It was horrible, and it was a really eye-opening experience for us because we thought we were doing this campaign on the marketing side that made sense, and they called us out, and they said, absolutely not. This is about supporting the veterans, and this is about Memorial Day, and how dare you sell things. So we're very conscious of the back-and-forth relationship with our art, with I our think, fans. I think, speaking for myself, I think maybe it's an underlying condition of right. all of our yeah. relationships and all of our, all of our all of our marketing. I mean, all of it, it's really it's got to be. I think I don't know who started out. It's got to be genuine, and it's got to feel it's it's got to feel real. And because the, I mean, that's the thing: the fans are empowered. By default, they're more empowered than they've ever been because they've got social media, because they can tell you exactly how they're feeling in public, in multiple public forums. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we deal with that. I think we deal with it every day, and I think it's just an underlying condition of, of what we do is, is, is taking care of the fans. I think, and that's kind of a cool thing over the last, like, 10 years since I've been doing this. The, you know, even, even 15 years ago, doing something special for the fans was something that you, you know, that was an innovation, and now it's just part of the atmosphere on the radio side radio personalities have to care and they have to engage and we all like same as the artist the country artist she was speaking to that that's the way it is i mean you can't do digital unless you're engaging and you care about who you're talking to another question all right hi i'm josh from lesson three my question is specifically for you lars um you know i i know a lot of the talk about piracy has always like focused around you know, we're losing revenue, but nowadays it's really more around the focus of like, if we sent, you know, if our tracks get sent to all directions of the wind, we can't track analytics on that, on who was listening, where it went, et cetera, which can be a bigger concern. So given that, I was curious about like what the kind of the strategy was behind releasing the Daft Punk album to stream on iTunes a week early, because I feel like the expectation there must have been on the side of the label that people were going to take that down, rip it, and distribute it I- illegally because that's kind of unpreventable. And so, like, where I know that there there must have been a concern about loss of analytics, but obviously there was a an advantage that you saw to doing this. And I'm wondering, like, what kind of the strategy was behind that in putting that out a week early? And also, can you tell me where their next public appearance is going to be? Um, I'll answer the second question first. No. Um, actually, I'm going to deflect the first question to Cameo, who can probably answer that question better than I can without compromising me at all. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, I actually was at iTunes right after it started. So I was there for four years and ran the uh, music programming and editorial team label relations. So I've got a little bit of love and hate for all things iTunes. The, the, there is a significant bump in pre-orders if you do a premiere with them. So for the labels who are super hyper-focused on first-week numbers, it will almost guarantee you that you can get into you know, somewhere probably in that top 10 on iTunes. And no matter how much everybody loves the big pictures at the top and all of that, the, uh, the, the charts sell more music on iTunes than anything else, and that's true for every genre page. So getting into that top 10 is critical, and, and it makes a huge difference on the pre-orders um, for them. They've seen anywhere from you know, 10% to... 
300% jump in pre-orders when they have the music available. And I, you know, we, it's actually something that we, we like to do with our artists. It was something we wanted to do with Lady Antebellum. We had, um, we've switched labels. We're part of the merger with EMI and UMG and it didn't happen. Um, but you know, the music's out there. I mean, let's be honest. The music's out there if you if you want to get it. And for us, it's about getting it to more to as many people as we can, and getting them excited about it, and getting them to engage with it and purchase it. We're not. We didn't have a crappy album. We were excited about it. The Daft Punk album is fantastic. It's gonna sell. It's gonna sell records to have it there. And specifically for stream, and this isn't true for every premiere, but specifically for streaming on iTunes, they're in a sales platform. They've come to a sales platform to listen to the music. The credit card is stored, and it's one click. So the the opportunity to upsell is really high. So my answer is no comment, and what she said is purely speculative. (laughs) (laughs) Another question. I was general. (laughs) (laughs) You can take. You can you can draw your own conclusions. Any other questions? Hello. I just wanted to follow up a little bit on what Mike was saying before, and having scattered analytics. I know Next Big Sound does allow you to uh, import iTunes sales data. Could you see a platform where you could get, let's say, the top six services you're monetizing on YouTube, increased analytics, in addition to what Next Big Sound already does? Would that for you be, you know, start or at least like should sure. that be enough to really use that? I mean, I mean, anything would be better than than what I have now. So sure, that would be uh, that would absolutely be an improvement. No, but I mean, is you know, that but, a good model for right. what you're looking for? Uh, yeah, it's a good place to start. I, I think for me, it's like you know, we're we're a very small team. We're with one band. There's only so many hours in the day. So knowing where we should be spending our energy uh, and what platforms we should be investing in and which ones we shouldn't um, in terms of music sales or, or anything like that is really important. So that would be helpful for sure. Okay, I think we have time for one quick question. For the, uh, the social media experts, I mean, I imagine each one of you, but when, when you have a client, whether it be somebody like another venue or an artist, and you're trying to invest in social media strategies digitally, like, how do you choose? Uh, do you go to Facebook when Facebook might change in three months? Do you go to Twitter? You know, how do you decide what would be the place to be and how do you invest? Because anyone who's been in social media knows that really you have to build a name for yourself in that area and spend time. So after all of a sudden it changes its model, you're in trouble. And so how do you prepare for that? We always start with what the artist is already doing yeah. naturally where and how they speak because I think what's important too is each one of those platforms is a very different form of communication and voice and sometimes people use it all the same way and they just connect everything together and it's the same message and and you're really losing the plot if if that's what you do so for us it starts with what's that natural form of communication and if it's Facebook, great. Then we'll concentrate on that and we'll make Twitter more of a marketing campaign and and marketing platform. But we're very honest about that. I mean, we never try and speak on behalf of the artist. It has to start with the artist. But I think that's critical because it has to be something that you can do and maintain over time and be comfortable with. Tonya, I think you're not dealing dealing with an artist who's comfortable or not comfortable. So, yeah, how would you... I mean, it, it really just depends on, on, on what you can do. Like Cameo was saying, it's, it's very much about, does this make sense to my brand? Is this where my audience is? Are, are the people who are going to follow or like my page there the people that are actually going you know, to be profitable at some point? Are they going to buy something? You know, it, it really just, you know, and you want to be where everybody is, but at the same time, you got to be flexible enough to 
be able to jump over to the next. Um, so like Cameo was saying earlier, it's really important to figure out who you are before you get on those platforms. Because if you just jump on there and bank on, this is Facebook, this is who I am, and it goes away, you don't have anything left. So it's really, it's really about figuring out who you are and then what makes the most sense to your brand. Just to add really quickly, I, another determination in, in deciding, you know, where to concentrate and where to, you know, devote time, money, and energy is in regards to where my advertising dollars work the best, right? So, you know, if an artist is equally good on Facebook and Twitter, um, if I find a better return, right, if I'm driving people to iTunes and I can sort of see that completed cycle from Facebook over Twitter, then it's going to be Facebook, which, uh, which is a great segue into uh, the panel that we'll do next time, which is how to spend digital dollars, So, um, which we could do a whole conference on probably. But thanks, everyone, for coming out. Thank you, distinguished panelists. Um, thank you, Cameo, for bailing me out on that question. And uh, uh, thanks, everyone.